Welcome to College Football Throwdown, episode 136. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, and welcome, Husker fans and college football fans. Hello, everybody. Uh, We are a father-son duo here to talk about college football by college football fans for college football fans. Uh, Today, dad had to forgo his usual uh, setup for recording the podcast, so his audio may be a little bit different for you guys. Um, But today we'll be talking about uh, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, uh, their loss to Illinois, uh, as well as some of the bigger shakeups in the coaching world, you know, uh, head coaching availabilities, uh, and the big games and upsets uh, from this past week. That sounds like a plan. All right. But before we dive into all that, uh, we're going to stick with our tradition and open up a beverage. Uh, This will sound familiar to our regular listeners, but I have more of my uh, Kona Brewing Company uh, Longboard Island Lager. Okay. And I am uh, uh, breaking into uh, my very limited supply of Shell's Brewing Company beer that I picked up from New Ulm, Minnesota, back when we were there. Uh, And uh, uh, this is their Firebrick Vienna-style amber lager. It's a wonderful beer. All right. Here we go. Okay. Really looking forward to drinking this one. There we go. Okay, now I'm ready to talk football with my son. Good. Well, uh, us Nebraska fans might need a beer uh, after that particular game we just witnessed this weekend. Um, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I uh, was busy this weekend. I actually got to go to a a screening with uh, Guillermo del Toro in person. So that was pretty cool. Um, so I listened to the first half of the game on the radio uh, and then uh, basically missed the second half until it was over because I was in this film screening. Um, but I saw what happened with the game. I watched recaps and stuff. Um, we, of course, gave our usual predictions on the previous podcast. Uh, I was being optimistic and hoping that we could pull out a W. And so I predicted that we would win uh, 38 to 35, uh, where you uh, more correctly predicted that we would lose, uh, saying 38 21. Uh, ended up being a lower scoring game on both accounts, um, where it was a victory of 26 to 9. Yep. So, really, uh, from a, a point differential standpoint, I was pretty close. But I just had both teams being more offensive. It, it was uh, it was a hard game to watch because number one, Illinois' defense is pretty good. Okay, that's very clear. Uh, there's a reason why they're statistically one of the best team, uh, best defenses in the country, uh, and they certainly showed that uh, last Saturday. Um, but also, once our starting quarterback, um, you know, uh, Casey Thompson was. Uh, hurt and uh, removed from the game um, our backups uh, we tried to uh, really uh, were not up to the task and and we'll get into that a little bit more as we go through uh, our review of the game right well one thing that the uh, radio announcers kept saying was that um, early in the game you know this is 
in the first half once again while I was listening um, that uh, Mark Whipple's, you know, schemes that he was coming up with were really working. And we had guys open that uh, Casey was either not seeing or missing, you know, where you'd like slightly overthrow a guy and things like that. Um, I, I would agree that that is true. And, and then we had a couple of drops. Right. So you, you combine all of that stuff and uh, that's what leads to the kind of uh, negative results that we ended up with. Right. So, you know, in terms of uh, scheme wise, you know, we were on the right track, you know, and the, on the defensive side of the ball, while they scored immediately on their first possession, uh, we kind of managed to clamp on, down on them. We're actually three and outing them several times in a row, giving our offense opportunities. Um, and we yep. managed to go up uh, nine to six. Um, but from there, like you say, uh, they managed to uh, hurt Casey. And of course, on that uh, play, they also got an interception that gave them very good field position that let them get an easy score for a touchdown. Uh, and from there, uh, the game kind of never went back in our favor again. Um, we had uh, Chumpa Purdy come in as our second team quarterback as well as uh, Logan Smothers, uh, different points in the game. Um, and I was seeing some discussion that people were kind of hoping to see more of Smothers when it was clear that Purdy wasn't working and that Mickey had even said to like the reporter at halftime that uh, we'd see Smothers in the second half, and then we didn't. So I was a little confused right. about that. Okay, well, uh, I, I can address that specific thing. And, uh, um, you know... Uh, let's go back to, yeah. So in terms of how the game, you know, uh, evolved or transpired, um, we, we, you're exactly right. I mean, we were, we were holding our own defensively. We were become we were being competitive. We were actually getting more yardage rushing the football. Uh, and they made a, a, a big point to, to note that we had already gotten to the, what, what Illinois, uh, statistically was averaging defensively. We were already there as an offense before halftime. I mean, so we, we really did, you know, really bef- by midway through the, the quarter, we were already pretty close to their, uh, their average, you know, giving up yardage. Um, so, I mean, uh, we started the game with a game plan and with, like you say, um, you know, we were calling plays and we were getting some things done. But uh, um, Casey sh- struggled with accuracy on some critical plays. And then he had a couple of critical drops, particularly one there, there was a play that had been run, you know, Ramir Johnson is a guy that was really important to us last year. Uh, he's, he's kind of evolved into this supposed dual role of still being a running back and also uh, uh, learning the wide receiver position. So he could be kind of a Jack of all trades. And we ran a play specifically for him. That was kind of packaged for him uh, that they had apparently been running all week with success. And, uh, and, uh, when they ran it, he was wide open and, um, Casey threw it to him and he dropped it. Um, so, uh, that's one of those, that's uh, another one of those things where you, you just need guys to make plays for you. If you want to stay in a game against a team that has superior talent to you. And collectively, this is a team in Illinois that has superior talent to us. They have, you know, a solid offensive line which probably includes a couple of guys that'll play on Sunday they have a, a, a solid defensive line they have a really good secondary maybe a couple more professionals in that group um, and then they have uh, the definite you know maybe early round running back right 
And then they have a quarterback that doesn't make mistakes. It's very efficient. And that's all they need to, to win eight or nine or 10 games in a season, especially given the season schedule that they were gifted this year um, by the Big Ten. It's it's going to lead to that for them, I, I think. Right. Well, not to mention, um, we had a big uh, pass play uh, earlier on in the game that got us down in the red zone, uh, but then we weren't able to convert that into a touchdown or forced to kick a field goal. And a different time, we were down in the red zone, and then Casey yep. threw an interception uh, in a scenario yep. where we very realistically could have gotten a field goal. Um, so there right. were definitely were uh, opportunities and points we kind of left out there, uh, which when you're playing against, you know, the 17th ranked team in the country, right. Uh, you need to capitalize on every opportunity you have. Right. Right. Exactly. And then that's the thing that's frustrating is you look at all of that and you can't really say, Oh, did, did, did the coaches not prepare a good enough game plan? Well, no, they, they actually did. And you know, things of that nature. So, so um, there's plenty to go around with that regard, but uh, I don't know. It's just really interesting to see how that all plays out. What were you going to say specifically about the Chubba Purdy versus Logan Smothers situation? Oh, thank you. Okay, so so the second quarterback in right after uh, Thompson got hurt was in fact Smothers, not Purdy. Okay, right. So he. Smothers ran uh, or ex, uh, uh, came out and uh, ran plays as the quarterback for that last series that we had before halftime, basically. Okay, um, and then when he was interviewed at halftime, the the uh, you know the interviewee asked Coach Joseph uh, who he was likely going to go with in the second half if Thompson wasn't available, and he said that it was going to be Smothers. Now I believe that that was strategic. I think all along when they when that happened, they purposely um, put Smothers in there, knowing that it was just for the one series, and then uh, with every intention that they were going to do Purdy in the second half. And by doing that, the other team is in there in the locker room at halftime, and they're uh, they're focused on adjustments for a quarterback that's going to likely run the football a lot because. You know, there's a book on Smothers, right? Smothers started some games for us last year. He clearly is a better runner than he is a thrower and more of a threat in that regard. So um, if you wanted to waste some of your opponent's time during halftime, that's what you do, right? Right. right. And so if anything, you know, I, I don't know whether this was definitively uh, a, a conscious choice by, by uh, Coach uh, um, Joseph or not, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that that was a, st a strategic set of decisions and that he did that knowing he was going to go to Purdy in the second half and that he was just simply trying to get the other team to waste some time preparing for uh, a quarterback that was going to be a heavy runner and, uh, and then have the, the passer come out in the second half. The problem is Chubby Purdy, the passer, wasn't there. <laughs> I mean, he just... He didn't show. It looked like Chubba Purdy had not prepared this week or last week. You know, uh, he, it's like he wasn't at all ready for the game plan, didn't know what he was doing. And yes, he was scrambling. Okay. Um, but, you know, that's the nature of 
playing quarterback at Nebraska in this in this year, Thompson has had to run and scramble and run for his life all season, as it were. So, you know, how can you be surprised, Chuba, that you 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 needed to know you were going to have to get that ball out quick? And he was guilty of holding on to the football too damn long, three or four times. One of which led to at least a, 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 one of his interceptions, and another circumstance where he got sacked or put himself in a situation where it was a, a, a zero play with no, nothing positive uh, because he waited too damn long uh, to go through his progressions. Right. Uh, so it's like, what, why weren't you more prepared? And I have to be critical of Co- Coach Joseph's staff and their decisions with regard to preparation for quarterbacks, whether the, you know ultimately that's Whipple's job, but uh, it all ultimately lands at the feet of the head coach. Bottom line is they did not have the second and third team quarterbacks ready to go. Right. Which was something that we'd brought up in the past because it was clear to anybody with eyes that uh, Casey Thompson was not going to make it to the end of the season with the way our offensive yes. line had been playing and the big shots he'd already taken uh, throughout the season, going to the injury tent multiple times and things like that. Um, exactly. So you know that he was a warrior and trying to work through it. Um, but I was kind of thinking that, okay, then we should be giving a significant number of snaps to Chubba Purdy in our practices, right? With the knowledge that he might have to go in and perform for us at any moment. And it doesn't right. seem like that's what was happening. I would agree. And frankly, they should have probably been given Purdy a, a series each half uh, in every football game, even the ones we were winning. You know what I mean? You find a way to give your starter one one series off so that so that the uh, uh, you know the coaching staff can talk with him and have some things that they want him to look at and watch from a defensive standpoint that maybe they think he's not seeing very clearly. You, you take that opportunity to, to talk with him about it and then when the offense goes out, he gets to stand on the sidelines and watch um, you know, while while the backup runs the show for a, a few plays, hopefully more than a few plays, and uh, and he gets to see some things with his eyes on the sidelines. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, especially when you're trying to uh, make sure that you had have a, a number two guy ready to go out there and be reasonable. But it's now clear that without Casey Thompson, w- we have no offense at all because Purdy did not show – any of the arm strength that would be necessary to run a, 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 a passing offense like what Whipple wants to run. And our offensive line is not nearly good enough to rely on a running game consistently. But that would, that would probably, that leads me to the second criticism of the game, which is that, you know, we actually were running the football with some reasonable um, offensive success uh, in terms of yards per carry early in the game. And then it seems like we kind of just went away from it. So whatever the, you know, the, uh, the scheme and the alignments and the motions and things that we were using, you know, were working. Um, and yet we seem to, you know, get away from it, right? We started getting into this uh, pass, 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 or run on first down, which is when they're expecting it, and run a simple play. I don't know. It just, right. it, it seems like we have an incomplete offensive package. Right. Well, one thing I know that uh, uh, some of people were talking about was that Anthony Grant, you know, had some nice runs in the play, you know, and we've praised his uh, 
the, his abilities with his feet, you know, to like uh, get extra yards, you know, with spins and juke moves and things like that. Um, but I think he has some of that kind of running back mentality of like, I've got to try to make a play no matter what, you know, and try to find the situation where I can, you know, uh, make something yep. big out of this because there were situations where he would be like, running it to the outside, you know, and trying to get the corner on a guy, you know, and trying to, you know, have something happen. And Illinois has got the speed to prevent that versus if he had just uh, turned it inside. Sure. You're not going to get, you know, a huge play, but you at least get, you know, five yards, right. You know, or four and enough for a first down. Right. Right. Well, and I think some of these were on like, first or second downs, you know, and long. Right. Um, so yep. then at least you're making it third and manageable, right? Rather than third and 10. Right. No, exactly. And well, and there was, there was a couple of times when he literally was right near the, uh, uh, the, the line to get for a first down. And then he went sideways in an effort to try to make, uh, make it a bigger play rather than just turning and diving and driving uh, with his legs to get the first down. Right. Yes. And that's the kind of thing that that that's a mentality thing. That's a that's a that's a taught thing and an expectation thing. And we still don't have it, you know, and, and I agree. I, he's one of my favorite players on the team this year. Um, I really, really have great admiration for him. However, I would suggest to you that I think he was nursing some kind of an injury because he's lost his wiggle. He doesn't have that great vision and that that little stutter step short move that he showed early in the season. He's not demonstrating that anymore. He's now pretty much running straight ahead. And uh, and I don't know if that's because the coach has been telling him, hey, this is what we need you to do because we need you to get every yard that's, that's available, you know, and you can't be out there dancing. And, and I get that you have to message that, especially when you have kind of a poor offensive line. But uh, – but, uh, you know, you want to uh, leave a little room for your running back's own creativity because that happens to be one of his strengths. And then he had a very costly fumble for us. Right. Um, and uh, that fumble was caused by him efforting too much, right? He was trying so hard to get every damn yard. He was already kind of, you know, there was already like three guys around him. So it wasn't one of these situations where he was going to be able to make one guy miss and then it, that was going to uh, mean an, an extra, you know, 10 yards or even five yards. If he was able to make one guy miss, ultimately uh, it was going to give him another yard and then he was going to be tackled. So in situations like that, you secure the football and you go down. Instead, he ends up getting flipped up in the air and, you know, next thing you know, the ball's out. Right. And it was a great tackle. Don't get me wrong. It was great. Uh, technique by their defense. I think it was helmet on the football. I mean, it was it was a good, uh, clean football hit and a great tackle that caused the fumble. Um, but you know what? I don't think that happens if he's not where his entire body's up in the air. You know what I mean? Where his feet are off the ground as well. And when you're in that situation, you're very vulnerable. Right. And that tends, your instinct is to put your hands down. And so then that releases this your grip on the football yeah uh i'm gonna go over a few stats here as we kind of wrap up our discussion on the game um that were key uh we had four total turnovers while they only had one so we were minus three in that regard um and despite how you know inept the offense was after casey got hurt uh, we had 
248 total yards of offense while they had 367. So only about 100 more than us, uh, despite, you know, how much they clearly were controlling the game. Um, and another interesting thing is they they had eight penalties for 72 yards. Well, they only had three for 30. Um, so, you know, that, that was one good thing to see. You know, uh, we've seen some games where we've had like 10 penalties. Um, so I'm glad to see us being a little more disciplined in that regard, at least. Yes, I would agree. And in general, I have to say, our defense really continued to fight and play hard, and we hung in there. I mean, even in the third quarter, um, you know, we uh, they they didn't score a lot of points in that third quarter. And and if we had just you know mounted any kind of offensive threat and maybe scored you know a touchdown, then that game is tight, right? And and they maybe are behaving a little differently in terms of their own play calling and stuff. But we showed ourselves to be so completely inept that they now knew, as a uh, they being Illinois now knew. All they needed to do was grind the clock and not make mistakes, and they were going to come away with the victory. Right, which they're good at. We talked about their grind mentality last podcast. Yep, yep, exactly. So, I mean, it just we we played right into their hands, and uh, I, I'm just I'm very disappointed in Chubba Purdy's performance specifically, and I'm disappointed in our coaching staff because uh, they're either guilty of not preparing the backup quarterbacks properly uh, for the likely scenario uh, where one of them was going to have to step in and play part of this game. They had, like you said, they had to have known that that was a very good possibility. And then the second thing is, is that, you know, these, these quarterbacks, you know, at some point it's on them too. It's not just the coach's um, uh, responsibility. At some point, the player has to have their head in it. And uh, interestingly, Coach Joseph was talking in the in the uh, press conferences where he was available to media prior to the game. I think it was earlier in the week, but he talked specifically about the fact that our players need to learn how to get and be productive with mental reps. And what he was speaking to was, you know, a quarterback who's standing on the sidelines because his counterpart is taking the snap with the team and he's waiting his turn well you need to you need to be locked in and observing and listening to the coaching that's going on in that snap and then lock into your next opportunity to get out there and actually get a get a rep right you cannot just uh phase out and start talking about you know the weather or whatever (laughs) you know or what music you like or any of that kind of shit, right? You need to be locked in and taking those uh, mental reps. And they uh, they clearly didn't do that. Right. Seems that way. Um, so we talked in the past about, you know, this uh, mid-game, four-game stretch, right, that was going to be very important for Mickey Joseph after the Oklahoma game. Um, and he's come out of that uh, two and two with losses now to Purdue and to Illinois. Um, so, uh, based on our earlier evaluation, uh, our kind of general sentiment was that if it was two and two, Mickey Joseph probably is out of the running realistically for being our head coach. Whereas if he had been three and one or even better four and oh, you know, then that would have shown a real, um, you know, uh, turn in direction from what we were seeing under Scott Frost before. And 
you know, we definitely have seen improvements, right? And there's been definitely added positivity around the program. Mickey Joseph has said the right things to the media and stuff. Uh, but uh, it's clear that the underlying problems are still there. And like you said, now with Casey Thompson hurt, we have to assume for extended period, uh, we may really run into a brick wall here with these tough teams on the remainder of our schedule. Um, so what is your opinion on if Mickey Joseph has any shot of being our head coach at this point? Well, I think he still does because, again, I, I think there is a lot of um, logical and justifiable reasons to look at what has happened, how, how the season has unfolded, right, and make the judgment that, okay, these are the things that are beyond Mickey's control given the short period of time that he's been involved. And uh, you got to look at how he's leading the team, how he's leading the coaches. I think the thing that Trev Albers is probably looking very closely at is how is Mickey doing with the relationships with his coaches? Because again, the, one of the big jobs of a head coach, uh, although he needs to be able to lead his team from a, from a player standpoint um, and have some ability to motivate and, and get people focused, it's even more important that his messaging and his communication skills work as a leader amongst his staff, right? Um, mm -hmm. And getting those guys to individually take the ownership they need to. Um, and so I don't know, you know, how that's going, right? That's kind of, that happens to be more, much more behind closed doors. Right. So I, 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 so I, I guess to answer your question, I think Mickey is absolutely still in the running. I think the two and two, um, certainly showed and demonstrated that he was able to inspire some effort out of the players. I look at all four of these games that have happened since the Oklahoma game, and and I say, you know, uh, there are a couple plays here and there, and and we're right in those games. If if we weren't in them already, you know, when you think about it, we won two of them, and then the two we lost, you know, we we were one or two plays go the wrong way, like the the, the block pass. What do I want to say? How would I describe it? The right. the Purdue cross uh, a pattern block that was critical on a critical fourth down situation. Um, you know, if we get a couple of of plays that go the other way, we're right there, and maybe we beat Purdue. Now Illinois, frankly, they were demonstrably better than us. Um, right. So, so uh, it is what it is. But I could have easily seen us be three and one out of these last four games. Right. So I, I just look at Mickey and say, that's the thing. The question is, what has Trev Albers' reception been among the other targets? And he's been so effective at being tight-lipped about who they've looked at, you know, who they've engaged in any kind of conversation, even if it's been behind uh, a back backdoor type stuff. Um, you know, there's all these names that people have been out there speculating on for now more than a month. And the reality is, no one has heard anything legitimately concrete because uh, Trev has been able to keep it locked down. And I have great admiration for Trev there, uh, other than the fact that uh, I wonder if it's because he either has already made his decision and it's just they're waiting for the timing to play out or he's getting uh, a lot of no's right. from his targets. 
Yeah, well, so I'm going to bring up uh, two points here. Uh, number one, because I agree with you that like the Purdue game, uh, not so much the Illinois game, but the Purdue game was definitely very close and could have gone our way with a couple of things going differently. Uh, but that has been the mantra throughout the entire Scott Frost era, right? You know, how many of the games that he lost were by one score or less, right? And if just a yep. few things had gone differently, we have a radically yep. different season, right? So to That's me... True. To me, that is no longer an excuse because that's what we were telling ourselves throughout the Scott Frost era and, frankly, a lot during the Mike Riley era, too, you know, and it didn't turn around, right? So, to me, for Mickey Joseph, you know, this more unknown quantity, you know, not a big name hire or whatever, who's been promoted from within the staff to be the interim head coach, you need to uh, really perf- – It's kind of, there's kind of like an extra level of expectation on you that you really need to show a, a very impressive turnaround for the athletic director to decide, well, I'm not going to hire this big-name person, you know, that I might want or whatever, somebody who's more experienced and notable, but I'm going to stick with you because the players like you, you know, and you've shown practical results in the field that you can make this team your own, you know. And I don't think Mickey Joseph has done that, right? Uh, Ed Ogeron at LSU, you know, I forget the exact circumstances, but I'm pretty sure he did a good job of turning that LSU team around when he took over, you know, and like they won their bowl game and things like that. Um, right. Well, and, and and the difference is he had real talent. Right. But, uh, when he took over, it was a situation where the, 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 the previous coach was failing with a lot of talent. Okay, so it was clearly a, a coach debacle situation, whereas our coach debacle situation so uh, was so fully encompassing of everything related to the program. Our our preparation going into the season uh, did not prepare us for what uh, the kind of success that we would want to have. Clearly, because uh, we're not seeing the kind of physical development, the kind of um, of uh, repetition development, our coaching, all of it. All of it was inferior, right? So there's nothing that's good about it other than we have some individual skill talent that, you know, isn't bad. Uh, So um, if we had an offensive line and we had a defensive line that was average in the Big Ten, we would have won some of these games because we have the skill talent at quarterback and at wide receiver. And even at running back, we have the skill talent uh, that we could have really uh been competitive in almost every game we've played up till now yep. except for maybe Oklahoma uh, and I, and I don't disagree obviously at the LSU situation the Nebraska situation are very different but I guess my point is my personal prediction is that I think there's a very low possibility of Mickey Joseph being our head coach unless like you say Trev has gotten multiple no's from the people on his list in which case he'll kind of like settle for Mickey you know yep. as a solid backup option um, yep. but, and I think there's still the possibility that we get a new coach, uh, but that Mickey stays on the staff, like we've discussed. I think that's very possible. Um, but that's my current feeling. Right. And that's kind of my hope actually is my hope is, um, that Mickey, uh, ha- has an attitude and a-, a mental state that allows him to accept that, okay, I was the interim head coach, but I coached a team who went, you know, two and and seven or whatever during my nine games of available, um, um, you know, available to me 
or maybe three and six. Um, that's not the kind of performance that leads to being hired and accept that that's true, right? Even though it's not his fault, right? He, he, he's doing a lot of the right things, but he wasn't able to inspire and project uh, a, a massive turnaround either. Okay. So he's not the miracle worker. Right. So last question on this topic, um, we're getting into November now, right? You know, the early uh, signing period is coming up here in December. Um, so how much longer do you think Trev waits? Uh, let's assume that he uh, has his guy or is very close to getting his guy. You know, they're in the final negotiations or whatever. Um, how much longer do you think he waits? You know, I'm, I'm going to say, you know, a lot of people are talking about, you know, he announces it after the game, after the Iowa game, um, you know, last game of the year. And so that's, that's certainly one thought process is that he is going to let this play out to the end for Mickey, but I, I don't think he has to wait that long. I'm going to predict that it's two weeks from now. So it's, it's after the Michigan game, which will likely be a devastating loss. And at that point, you know, uh, even if we will have found a way to beat Minnesota this weekend, and then we lose to, to Michigan, probably in quite unattractive fashion. <laughs> um, then after that, I think Co uh, Trev will be ready to uh, change the conversation, right? And we got to get that ugly taste uh, of the beatdown that we're going to likely take from Michigan out of our mouths. That will be the moment in time that's going to give the new coach three weeks to hopefully, you know, again, that this has already been being discussed and they're on the path. So the announcement will happen and then that guy will already have um, quite a bit of his uh, assistant coaching staff already lined up. You know what I mean? So he can go out and recruit um, um, for those final two weeks or two and a half weeks before the signing day. Right. Yeah, I, I would generally agree with you, you know, um, since. I felt that this this four game period was Mickey's real chance to prove himself, and since he has failed that, in my estimation, if I'm Trev Albers, uh, then uh, I want to get my new guy in uh, as soon as possible so that he can uh, establish himself. You know, get the recruiting train going. Maybe even if that means that the players on this current team kind of lose focus and aren't so great in these last games of the year. Well, I'm already considering this season kind of a wash to begin with, right? Cause we're so bad. So, you know, oh, we're thinking that, but you don't want to convey that to your kids. Cause the problem is then they really do bail on you. And then this day and age, where there's free agency, all of a sudden you got a bunch of players, real important players to us, frankly, uh, that, that will bail on the season before the season's even over. You know, if, if I'm, if I'm, uh, you know, one of the better players on the team and I know that I'm not going to stay at Nebraska, then why would I risk injury uh, in the last four games of the year? Right. Nope. And so I, I, that's why I think he, he cannot announce it until after that Michigan game. Because if he does, there will be so many people trying to bail so they do not have to play Michigan and be embarrassed on national TV and then, and then potentially risk being injured that that uh, some of those guys will self-delete and they'll go into the portal immediately um um so i don't know 
uh, and maybe they can't. I, I mean, I don't know those rules. Okay. I know there was supposed to be a time frame, So maybe that time frame is closed. And now these guys can't announce the portal until, you know, after the season is over. Uh, but even if that's the case, even if they haven't formally announced it, they've mentally checked out. Right. right. And then they're out there going through the motions and doing their best to, to preserve themselves from injury. Right. Well, even after the Michigan game, we have two more games. So regardless, it could right. still happen, but yeah. Right. Well, uh, those two games at the end, after the Michigan game, if you've lost that game and you know, then, then everybody at that point kind of starts expecting you to cash it in, right. To just bail. Um, I, I just feel like that's the, that's the natural line in the sand for me. Right. Yep. Well, yeah, and this upcoming Minnesota game is definitely important on that whole team mentality thing. Um, but we'll talk about that yes. at the end of the podcast. Um, yes. Because there was actually a big development in the world of coaching uh, just today on Monday as we're recording this podcast, uh, which was that Auburn, who uh, they had their athletic director, Alan Green, uh, step down in late August, um, you know, it sounded like he was he still had like five months left on his contract, but he left early, probably because they weren't doing that great or whatever. Um, so this new guy, uh, John Cohen, uh, just came in here in this last week from Miss- Mississippi State. And uh, after uh, Auburn's loss this weekend to Arkansas, which was at home for Auburn, uh, th- this new athletic director decided to fire uh, Brian Harson, uh, who was their current coach. And this was the middle of his second year. So he went six and seven last year, and then he was three and five currently in 2022. Uh, so they really had him on a short leash in terms of opportunity. Yes. Uh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm in agreement with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it makes you reflect on the fact, you know, kind of like we talked about with the Paul Chris situation right with Wisconsin in comparison to the other major programs in college football. Nebraska has been quite patient with their coaching carousel in terms of trying to give coaches time to get their feet under them, you know, and try to turn things around. Um, I don't think anyone could accuse us of being hasty in that regard. I would agree with you on that point as well, Alex, that that the reality is, is that if anything, we would be accused of, of having waited too long, right? We, we probably should have fired Bo when, when the recordings of his ranting and shit came out. And instead we, we chose to stand by him and ended up firing him, you know, a year and a half later after we had given him an extension. Um, um, and then certainly the, the Scott Frost uh, experiment, we were way more patient than most anyone else would have uh, been. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, Auburn is a very uh, prominent job, you know, more prominent than any of the other ones that have uh, appeared this year, right? Like Arizona uh, State and things like that. And I've seen speculation already that uh, Ling Kiffin may be a top choice for them uh, for that Auburn job. Um, but do you think how do you think this affects Trev's search uh, for a head coach? Well, I, I, I'm going to say that you know, I don't know to what extent uh, Lane Kiffin was truly interested in the Nebraska job. I do know that Lane has been, he has been public in some of his criticism of Old Miss um, and, and the administration there. So the, and his history. 
suggests he has no problem moving. So I could see Lane Kiffin looking at it and saying, okay, at Ole Miss, I can get to eight and four and regularly go to bowl games. If I go to Auburn, I have the level of commitment and expectation that uh, that would give me the opportunity to, to build a, a program that, that takes me to a national championship. So, I mean, I, I could see him making that change. Um, at Nebraska, I, I think uh, it takes a special person to want to be at Nebraska. They have to be willing to embrace the, 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 the mountain that they must climb to recruit enough talent here to be competitive. Um, and that's the big challenge about Nebraska. It's not that the resources aren't there money-wise or phys- physical facilities-wise or passionate fan base. We got all those ingredients. The thing that makes Nebraska such a hard sell is that we are in Nebraska. And so it, it, there aren't beaches. There aren't, there's not warmth, not attractive and beautiful, doesn't have mountains, right? And so what are, how are you going to get recruits to travel more than 500 miles in many cases, one to two thousand miles to come to school at your school, when when you, you know you, you just don't have those things to offer. Mm-hmm. Very true, very true. That is the eternal struggle. So, well, so here here's the here's the response that I like best from the herb from the Auburn news today. You cannot spell Auburn without urban. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can you imagine? An Auburn Alabama rivalry with Nick Saban and Urban Meyer. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, the storylines. <laughs> uh, they write, they write themselves. themselves. Yeah, that's what I said. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, once again, it all comes down to how interested is he versus, you know, his uh, current commentary gigs and all that. Um, but Auburn, like you say, has the money and the resources certainly to throw at him. Right. Well, I think Urban wants to coach at the college game again. I, I think there's no doubt in my mind that, that, that he wants that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the issue with urban is um, he doesn't have a lot of time. Right. Cause he's getting up there in age. Um, well, yeah. So he doesn't have time to do a full rebuild. Right. Right. That That's the challenge. Right. How and- do you get, go ahead. And Auburn isn't a full rebuild the same way Nebraska is, but I mean, they have, you know, since their uh, string of national championship type teams, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, uh, they have been very up and down, you know, and gone through multiple coaches and things like that. So it would take some time for sure. Oh, oh, absolutely. But they're in Alabama. They're in the South. They're, they're surrounded by four-star talent to a much greater degree than Nebraska is. And so if I'm looking at a, you know, five to eight year time horizon to, to reestablish my credibility and my, my reputation before I leave the sport, I want a place where I can land and just dive right in with talent. And, and I know that there are other programs. I mean, if you look at the landscape right now, just take a snapshot of the landscape right now, you know, Texas A&M is on a little rocky ground, Notre Dame little bit rockier than they expected for their first year coach. Um, Texas, a little bit rockier than people expected. Oklahoma, also a little rockier than people expected, right? So the, the, I just named four blue blood programs all in 
recruiting hotbeds or in the case of Notre Dame, Notre Dame, right, that might very well be in the market for a coach over the next two to three years. And so if I'm Urban Meyer, I hold out for the possibility of any one of those four going the wrong way. And then I become another year removed from my bad off the field antics in the NFL. And people, uh, you know, have uh, re- recency bias. And he, he's such, he's so good on the TV. My God, his, you know, his breakdowns of games, you know, and when he does the breakdown on certain plays, he's brilliant. Mm-hmm. The guy's a great coach. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sorry. He might not be the character guy that you want or whatever and have some baggage, but uh, I'm here to tell you most all those guys do. So uh, just some of it's more public than others. Right. Yep. No. Yeah. Nobody's down against football mind, I don't think. Um, right. Moving on here to uh, some of the big games of week nine of college football. Uh, one of the big ones that we discussed, which is a uh, classic in-state rivalry where we come from, which is, of course, Michigan versus Michigan State. Uh, it was at the big house this year, and Michigan was the clear favorite in terms of rankings and everything. Currently the number four team in the nation. Uh, and it ended up being a victory by uh, Michigan of 29-7 to over Michigan State. Uh, Michigan State scored early uh, and then struggled to get anything going after that. Uh, while Michigan uh, had a lot of success running the ball, uh, but really struggled in the red zone quite often, not able to punch it in for a touchdown. And so they ended up having five field goals in the game, all of which were made. So I hope they uh, gave a little trophy to their field goal kicker or something. Yeah, he gets to walk around with the Paul Bunyan uh, <laughs> trophy uh, that they share um, after that, for sure. Well, and, and he was uh, the Lou Groza award winner from last year. I mean, that guy is going to write his ticket to the field goal uh, job in the NFL uh, whenever he decides to hang it up in, in Ann Arbor. But it's nice to know that you have a field goal kicker like that, I guess. But you're absolutely right. The game was much more dominant uh uh, by Michigan than the final score would suggest. Right. And uh, interestingly, there was a bit of a scuffle, you know, like Michigan was had the ball right and just ran it on the last play of the game just to run out the clock, just something simple. Um, and there was a little bit of pushing and shoving amongst the players on that last play that the refs had to kind of step in to uh, settle. And then it came out after the game that uh, while both teams were heading down the tunnel back to their locker rooms, um, one of the Michigan players, or I'm sorry, one of the Michigan state players, um, suddenly started attacking a Michigan player. You know, I don't know what the cause was, you know, if that Michigan player said something or if it was just unprompted, but there's video, plenty of video from multiple angles of this group of Michigan state players just starting to beat on this Michigan player, including with a helmet, like just banging the helmet against this guy. And apparently Another Michigan State player tried to get involved to help his buddy, and he got pushed off into like a separate hallway to get attacked. Um, and so it's become a whole media scandal. Uh, four players have already been suspended by Mel Tucker, um, and there's you know criminal investigations starting to look into it and everything like that. So it's a real uh, you know unfortunate black eye on this rivalry. Right. Well, and it's an assault. Yes. Um, uh, very clearly, it's an assault. When you start swinging that helmet and using it as a weapon, you have gone away from being an athlete who's just having an intense reaction after a, an emotional loss 
and and you now have to be held accountable for your actions in the same way that somebody who who gets in a bar fight and ends up giving uh you know his opponent in that bar fight severe injuries you're going to be held accountable for that and th- this kid from Michigan got a concussion and among other things apparently and um i mean it's that's that's it's ridiculous now and and here's the problem as if Michigan State didn't already have enough problems that they're dealing with at their institution in terms of, uh, you know, um, schools um, doing, uh, I mean, losing their uh, uh, leadership, you know, having scandals, et cetera. They now uh, continue to perpetuate the longstanding thug reputation of, of their athletic department and specifically their football program. Right. Yeah. You know, there's plenty of both Michigan State and Michigan fans, you know, in the town where I grew up. Um, I'm curious, have you had a chance to talk with uh, Brian Clower about this particular? Oh, oh yeah. He's the first one that made me aware of it. He uh, obviously was very uh, disappointed and uh, concerned for that player. Uh, But he also, you know, was quick to acknowledge and speculate that in all likelihood that it wasn't completely un. I don't even know what uh, the right unprovoked. word is. Unprovoked. Thank you. Uh, that there was probably some jawing going on. And you know what? That, that, uh, so the Michigan player at, at a minimum is probably guilty of not understanding and having good situational awareness. You know, you don't start chopping at your mouth if you're walking uh, amongst, you know, 15 opponents, right, in a, lo- in a uh, tunnel that's not separated uh, between visitors and home team okay um you you know what if you see the 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 tunnel is full of white maybe just hang out for an extra minute uh and talk with somebody or sign an autograph or something at the before the tunnel begins so that you can let that clear off and they can get flowing into their locker room before you go down right because there's not enough of your buddies around to keep that from uh escalating right so I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, I, I hate to blame the victim and I'm not necessarily uh, trying to do that, but I'm simply saying there's, there's circumstances of situational awareness, you know, that you try to teach, like we tried to teach you guys when you were growing up, right? These are things you don't put yourself in these situations. Yeah. Like you say, bad, probably social awareness by that Michigan player. Uh, but obviously, you know, responding to words with violence to the level of beating somebody with a helmet uh, isn't going to uh, be excused in a court of law. So that Michigan State player is still going to be in trouble. Absolutely. And and clearly it wasn't just one, it was multiple. And that's where it really gets bad. And um, I I just, um, uh, gosh, Uh, uh, Michigan (laughs) State just needs to get out of their own way. They just, they just continue to, um, uh, you know, their athletes continue to not, uh, th- there ought to be an effort among their entire athletic program to get them to understand sportsmanship better and to understand the importance of intense competitiveness. And then when the whistle blows, it's over. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and you move on. You, 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 you cannot let it linger and you can't keep having this chip on your shoulder because you're Michigan State. It, 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 it's not becoming to you and you keep bringing it up and making it worse. 
you know, this, this will be talked about in from here on, you know, in perpetuity now, uh, regarding this rivalry. Right. Um, yeah. And not to mention that, you know, Mel Tucker was already feeling some heat from his recent struggles. Um, and this, you know, clear lack of team discipline, uh, is not going to reflect well on him either. I would agree. Um, one of the other games from last week that we discussed uh, was Ohio State versus Penn State. Uh, we predicted that one, and I predicted that Ohio State would win uh, 41 to 28, while you predicted a bit higher scoring, uh, 45 to 24. Um, and it ended up being a 44 to 31 victory. So I was actually spot on in terms of the margin, um, just like three point difference both ways. Um, it was a bit of an odd game in that uh, Penn State was actually winning for, you know, slightly uh, for a good chunk of it, you know, up like I think it was like 14 to 13. Um, and then right. they, they scored in the fourth quarter. Right. We're up. I guess it was like 16 to uh, 21 at that point. Um, but then uh, Ohio State roared back in the fourth quarter and scored 28 points uh, to end up, uh, you know, closing out the game pretty solidly uh, in Penn State Stadium. Right. And, and uh, you know, it looked like Penn State was doing particularly well in that first half uh, defensively, right? They were hanging in there, you know, um, but they just couldn't quite get the offense going in the, completely the way they wanted. Um, and then eventually Ohio State's talent, you just, you know, the longer the game goes on and you don't create some, uh, put some more, pressure on Ohio State so that they they get a little anxious or something that that's what you need to do to Ohio State to even have a chance of of beating them is you've got to frustrate them and get them anxious where where they're uh you know concerned that we're man we're not we're not beating these guys bad enough and then all of a sudden they start pressing and then bad things and mistakes start to happen and if you can't do that to Ohio State you're not going to beat them athlete on athlete. You got to get them to underperform in some areas, and then you have a, a you know fighter's chance. Right. Uh, another interesting uh, top level game was uh, Tennessee versus Kentucky, number three versus number nineteen, uh, and Tennessee yeah. won that one very convincingly, uh, forty four to six. Yep. I watched uh, some of that game. I was flipping back and forth between those two games, or that game and the uh, Michigan Michigan State game. Uh, very impressed with Tennessee boy, you know, and that's got a, um, it's another dagger in the heart of Nebraska fans because, uh, the coach at Tennessee is the guy who took over for Scott at UCF was there for just a couple of years and then got the, uh, Tennessee job. Just what was that last year or two years ago? And, uh, I guess it was last year. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, and he's already turned that thing around, you right. know, and they, their offense looks – now, granted, they have a quarterback. He's got a quarterback that's doing his offense exactly the way he wants it, so he's got a guy with the right skill set, but, damn, they look good. They certainly do. Um, we'll be talking about them again later in the podcast. Um, another interesting game was um, – Texas A&M playing against Ole Miss. We talked about them last week and the pressure uh, Jimbo Fisher was under. Uh, and I think I mentioned this game specifically. Um, and Ole Miss was the favorite, to be fair, but it was being played at Texas A&M. Um, and Ole Miss ended up winning uh, 31-28. to 28. Uh, 
Ole Miss had a had a, a pretty good lead, and then Texas A&M started to kind of come back in the fourth quarter, um, but they kind of ran out of time. Um, so that was kind of the situation that game. Yeah, I, I, you know, I didn't I didn't watch much of that, and you know, I don't know what to think about some of these scores in, in the SEC, especially because there just seems to be a really radical week to week shift in how teams play. Mm-hmm. It's hard hard to predict. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a fun season in that regard. Um, not so great maybe for the odds makers in Vegas or whatever. Um, right. And this was a very, you talk about unique games. This one was very unique. Uh, Miami against Virginia, uh, which ended up being a Miami victory of 14 to 12 in the fourth overtime uh, with zero touchdowns being scored in the entire game. It was all field goals or the required two-point conversions in the later overtimes. Wow. Wow. I didn't know that. Yep. That's one I didn't follow. I, I think it, it was six to six at, uh, at the end of regulation. Um, I also did not watch it live, but I saw a uh, recap and yeah, it th- seems to be a combination of some good defense and, you know, bad offense on both sides, you know, Virginia in particular, like they were at the goal line twice, I think. And they went for it, you know, on like, well, at least, at least once they went for it on fourth down, you know, instead of kicking the field goal and then didn't get it. So, yeah, uh, it was a bit of an ugly game for sure. <laughs> wow. Wow. And then last one we'll talk about here from week nine. Uh, this one's pretty crazy. The one that surprised me the most, I would say. Uh, Kansas State played against Oklahoma State uh, at home for Kansas State. Yeah. And Kansas State won 48 to nothing uh, against right. – Oklahoma and it, State, and it was it was thirty five to nothing halftime. I think, yeah, I think you're right. It was because then, yeah, they they kicked some field goals like in the second half. Like Oklahoma State forced them to kick some field goals, and then they scored again late a touchdown. So, yeah, uh, you know, Oklahoma State was ranked number ninth. Kansas State was ranked number twenty second, uh, and they did not have Adrian Martinez, the starting quarterback, the former Nebraska quarterback. He was still hurt, so they had a different guy, Will Howard, their second-team quarterback, played. Um, And I mentioned how he played pretty good when he was in in their previous game. Um, And it seemed like he was lights out in this game because he was throwing the ball all over the place. You know, he was more of a thrower than a runner. Um, And I don't know what's going on with Oklahoma State because they've had some good games this year. You know, they were a top contender in the Big 12, but this is an embarrassing loss. It's true. And it seems like they do this. Once a year, every year, o- Oklahoma State. I'm saying, and uh, and and it's an example of where you know um, you didn't have a big book on this other quarterback who had a very different skill set than the other quarterback. Not that he couldn't run, because he he obviously has some ability to move too. But um, but he's clearly uh, more of a pass first guy than than Adrian is, and so that's a very different. Um, you know, change up, if you will, and uh, how you're defending that particular offense. But that does not excuse you to get your get butt blown out like that uh, when you're supposedly one of the best teams in the conference. Right. And it also made me wonder if Adrian uh, does get better physically and is able to be the quarterback again. I wonder if he'll have lost the starting job if this Will Howard guy keeps, you know, lighting people up like that. Well, I think it depends on how long is Adrian out? Right. right? Yeah. yeah. That that's going to be the real key. I, I mean, if he comes back next week, I, I don't think you're replacing 
Adrian. I think you 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 ride out the string with him, but certainly now Adrian uh, uh, struggles or throws a pick or something like that, then um, uh, that you know you're quicker to pull the trigger right and make the switch. Right, definitely. So talking about uh, upcoming week 10 of college football, um, obviously in the Nebraska side of things, we'll be playing against Minnesota. This is kind of the start of the last four games of our season, which are uh, particularly tough because we have Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa. Um, You know, even though some of those teams like Iowa and Wisconsin, right, aren't doing as well as, say, in past years, um, still – uh, a lot of tough opponents, and now we have to deal with uh, not having Casey Thompson as our quarterback. Um, and Minnesota played against Rutgers this past weekend, a team that we barely beat, uh, and they crushed them uh, 31 to nothing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now, I will say I watched the recap of that game, and it was only 14 to nothing at the start of the fourth quarter. So, you know, Rutgers' defense was hanging in there enough to, uh, you know, keep the game within sight. Uh, but then, yeah, they kind of, I feel like they were taking more risks, you know, going for big passes and they threw like multiple interceptions and it, yeah, it kind of fell apart for them, you know, pick six and stuff like that. So Minnesota's uh running back, uh, Ibrahim, uh, yes. he's going to be a definite problem for us. Yes, I totally agree. And of course he's getting healthy. That's, that's a guy who's, you know, back for his seventh year. I swear, uh, <laughs> guy's been around forever. And uh, he's a great talent, but he's had some injury issues that have really slowed him for not, like two years. He's had two years of injuries, but when he's healthy, and apparently he's healthy again, this is going to be like his fourth or fifth game since kind of really getting back. Uh, he's a difference maker. He's an NFL talent when he's healthy. And uh, so, yeah, our timing could not be worse in terms of facing Minnesota. Right. Now, looking at their schedule, um, they did lose, for example, they lost pretty bad to uh, Penn State. Um, They lost 14-26 to Illinois, uh, 20-10 to Purdue. Um, So in terms of their, you know, uh, the level of opponents they faced, right, and lost to and things like that, they're similar to us, um, though they did beat uh, Michigan State solidly, which is probably their best win of the season. Um, And they beat Colorado as well. so, you know, they're, they're not a team that's like out of the realm of possibility for us, right? We're playing them at home again. Um, so I think it's definitely is doable for us. But of course, the big question mark coming out of this Illinois game is uh, what's the quarterback situation? Will either Chubba Purdy or Logan Smothers be able to get something together to actually pose an offensive threat? Because even if our defense is able to slow them down and that Ibrahim guy, uh, if we don't have an offense, there's no point to it because we'll eventually tire out. Right. Well, and and here's the thing. You know, our, our defense, like I said, uh, kind of um, did surprisingly well, I felt, against Illinois. And so, uh, I, I, you know, as long as we didn't, you know, and, and I don't know definitively what our injury report is coming out, out of that Illinois game, but as long as we didn't lose, you know, any key players, I feel like, you know, our, our defense will be able to slow them down a little bit, but we're going to really struggle to stop them, right? Because they, much like Illinois, are going to commit to the running game, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to be, but this this will be the second week in a row. We we showed that we could do it against uh, Illinois, and now we got to show that we can do it against Minnesota. 
And if we can do that, um, you know, they have a good quarterback, but I don't feel like they have great wide receivers. So we should be able to man up uh, on their wide receivers. And, uh, and then that allows us to focus a little more attention on their running game. Um, and, uh, and, and we won't sh- shut them out, but if we could just slow them down, then we need our offense to kick it up a notch and, and play some damn football. Yep. I totally agree. So uh, I was optimistic, you know, going to the Illinois game and I, you said, God bless you son last week, but uh, unfortunately I have to be more of the realist this time. Um, and I'm going to, I'll say that uh, we'll be able to keep it respectable. You know, maybe it'll be a bit like the Rutgers game where, um, you know, we keep it kind of close with them, but then in the fourth quarter, the defense tires that, you know, pounding the rock uh, over and over kind of gets to us and they pull away late. Uh, so I'm going to say it'll be another kind of lower scoring game where uh, it's Nebraska uh, 14 to Minnesota uh, 31. Wow. Okay. That's a good score. I like that score. I mean, I think that's a reasonable score. Um, okay. I'm going to flip. I'm going to say that uh, Casey gets to play. Well, I, I should say I saw uh, a thing on Husker Max, uh, just a yeah. headline that said that Mickey said it's doubtful that Casey will be ready for the Minnesota game. Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> did I shake your confidence there? Yeah, you did. Um, <laughs> well, if Casey, if Casey plays, I'm going to say that we – hang in there and we um were able to pull the upset and beat uh beat them but it's it's 35 31 uh if casey doesn't play then i i uh i'm gonna say that the score is 42 to 6 (laughs) Uh, uh and we get crushed damn all right well, we'll see how it goes. My fear would be that even if Casey does play, like I heard like that he like jammed his elbow Finger. right and like yeah, or yeah. something like yeah, and he was like numb in his hand and stuff like that. So right. I, I don't know. E- even if he is playing, he will not be 100% and he'll be missing people that are open and things like that. So I don't no, know. You're right. If we can win with a, you know, hobbling KB, Casey Thompson. Yeah, you're probably right, and that's and so the right thing for them to do is to protect him, if in fact that is the case. But uh, but uh, um, uh, maybe Chubba Purdy with a a week of practice where where he's actually getting first string snaps and is locked in because he's actually getting the physical snaps. Maybe he looks a lot different. I I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just trying. To, I'm grasping for straws. <laughs> um, yes. Hey, before we go on to another uh, thing, so I just wanted to go back to the coaching thing for just a moment. So now the the coaching jobs that are open, Auburn, Wisconsin, Colorado, Arizona State, Georgia Tech, and Nebraska. Right. That's that's quite the list. And I'm also seeing that some people are already saying Auburn has selected their head coach and uh, it'll be announced shortly, like in a, in a day or two. Mm. Um um, Bill O'Brien. Oh, well, so from Alabama. That would suggest then that this athletic director, as he was being hired, basically already knew that he was gonna oh, yeah. 
fire the head coach and bring in a new guy that he he wanted uh, from the right. start. Right. Yeah. He was from Mich- he was from Mississippi State, the Auburn AD. Right. So yeah. So he had his list, and he knew he was going to fire. Uh, he just was letting Harson uh, play out the string a little bit, probably uh, uh, just to kind of make it obvious. And then when enough of uh, of the uh, vociferous alumni and boosters of Auburn were uh, making phone calls to him, then he was able to pull the trigger. Right. I will say, I'm at least in my personal view, I'm not really considering the Wisconsin job as open since everybody seems to agree that they fired Paul Chris maybe a bit prematurely because there was other schools looking to get their defensive coordinator and that they, they wanted to hang on to him because he has a lot of talent clearly. Um, so unless he really uh, fails this, you know, uh, test of being the head coach for the rest of their season, um, I would suspect they would hang on to him. Right. And which he won't because the timing of when they fired Chris was uh, at the beginning of basically the, the lesser portion of the Wisconsin schedule, right? Uh, the, the toughest part was behind them. And uh, even if Chris, th- they were probably more concerned that Chris was going to run off and, and have a bunch of wins himself. And then they would be losing this desired assistant to someplace, somebody else. Cause if they waited another year or two, right. Then there was, it's likely that somebody else would become knocking on the door and that, that assistant coach would have to make a decision. Right. So they, they pulled the trigger when they did knowing that there was a pretty good chance that he was going to be able to write the ship enough and that their record will be quite attractive in the games that he coached. Right. Um, <clears throat> so also looking ahead at week 10, there are two really big games in the sec, uh, they'll be getting national attention. Uh, the big boy is Tennessee versus Georgia in the AP poll. They are number one and number two, respectively. Uh, it is at home for Georgia um, and Tennessee coming off of that nice win over Kentucky. Uh, Georgia themselves beat Florida uh, 42 to 20 in their most recent game. That was an interesting game, though. The Georgia Florida game uh, It wasn't immediately obvious that Georgia was going to win that. Okay, I didn't watch that one, so I didn't know that. Yeah, early in the game, it was competitive. Okay, that's good to know. Um, well, Tennessee and Tennessee is the one who played Alabama, right, and won in you know legendary fashion here. Um, so, do you think that they have that kind of big game mentality and are able to go in, you know, a little bit more fearless against this really good Georgia team and pull off the upset? Do you think that's possible? But they have to play at Georgia, correct? Yes. Yeah, boy, I, I I really was impressed with them, but Georgia is really really good, and Georgia at home, they're not in the comfy confines of uh, of the stadium there in uh, in uh, Knoxville, uh, so I'm gonna say no, uh, uh, and that uh, Georgia wins that football game, but but uh, man, that quarterback. And that offense, when it's running and clicking, it's fast. Yeah. That's all I'll say. It is really fast. Yep. Well, and frankly, their win over uh, Alabama should have been bigger because they they had like a, a pick six late in the game that kind of tied it back up for Bama. Um, so really, they were winning that more, more so than the score showed. Right. Uh, well, and so are, are we picking this one? Yes, we are. 
Oh God. So I have to do it first. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I'm going to, I'm going to go the conservative route. So then you're probably going to go the other way. Uh, I'm going to go Georgia wins since it's, it's it, it is at home, even though uh, the last few times I've watched Georgia, it, it just seems like they're not as complete of a football team as they were last year. Uh, at least not in terms of performance. Um, uh, but I'm going to say that on their home field and as a d- defending national champion, they're going to they're going to defend their turf and uh, find a way. And that maybe in that negative environment, you know, Tennessee is going to find the sledding a little harder uh, to, to in terms of execution and everything. Uh, a few more mistakes, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I I do believe it, it it has the potential to be high scoring, even though they uh, Georgia has a great defense. Um, so I'm going to say that it's going to be, man, I, I keep going to the same score, but, um, <laughs> I'm going to say it's going to be 42 to 35 Georgia wins mm. in a shootout. Interesting. All right. I'm going to say that Georgia wins as well, but I think I'm going to say it'll be a bit more defensive game. Obviously Georgia is renowned for their, uh, very good, they are. very big defense. Um, so I'm going to say that Georgia wins in a more low-scoring affair of, say, uh, let's go with uh, 31 Georgia to uh, 24 Tennessee. There you go. I like that score. I probably like that better than the one I came up with. All right. Well, and then the other big game in uh, the SEC is uh, Alabama versus LSU, number six versus number 15. Uh, it is at home for LSU, you know, and, and they, they had a rough start to their year, but they've got some more momentum now. Alabama, I don't know if they played anybody of real significance last week, um, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, hope for the upset here uh, and say that Alabama will continue to have a lot of penalty issues and things like that, like they did in that Tennessee game. Um, and LSU with the home crowd and this momentum uh, will narrowly manage to pull off an upset. Uh, so I will say that that one will be more high scoring uh, and that it'll be uh, 45 LSU to uh, 42 Alabama. Wow. Okay. Well, I can't have that confidence in LSU. Uh, I think Alabama goes in there and wins, even though I know I felt like, you know, Alabama was going to react or respond after the, um, you know, in the previous game. And then they ended up not. (laughs) Uh, But I just I still feel like the talent is there for Alabama and the coaching is is continuing to happen. And so I'm going to say Alabama wins and uh, I'm going to say that it's going to be. Because it's at LSU, it's going to be tight. Um, they're going to have to weather that storm, that initial LSU storm. So it's going to be a comeback victory for Alabama, and it's going to be uh, 31-24. Okay, 31-24. Interesting. We kind of flip-flop on the high scores yeah. there in both games. I like that score. I like that number after you said it. All right. Um, two other interesting games from week 10 is uh, Clemson playing against Notre Dame with Notre Dame at home. Uh, and then Kansas state coming off that big win against Oklahoma state uh, playing against Texas also at home for Kansas state. Well, I, I, Kansas state's on a roll. They're playing really good football. 
So I, I have to say Kansas State's going to win that football game. And it might not even be that close. I think Kansas State wins that comfortably. Okay. Uh, so Well, we don't have to do score predictions for these ones. Just oh, okay. chatting about the games. Um, but I would agree with you. You know, I think Kansas State obviously really impressed with that last win. They have confidence in their second team quarterback. And if Adrian is healthy, I'm not sure what the situation is there. But uh, that would give them an extra threat to use. Um, and then Clemson against Notre Dame is interesting because uh, Notre Dame uh, beat Syracuse uh, 41 to 24 last week, uh, which is the same Syracuse team that nearly beat Clemson, right? That Clemson had a real close game with uh, in week eight. Um, so although, you know, my mind says that Clemson should win that game, they've shown, you know, some vulnerabilities this season uh, that I think Notre Dame could exploit. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, I, I just don't, uh, I don't have much confidence in Notre Dame. Right. Right. I'm just not sure. I just, I feel like they're a good, not great football team. Um, so I'm going to go the other way. Yeah. Well, I should say, I mean, if Clemson plays cleanly, they win, you know, Syracuse was only really in that game with Clemson because they threw like multiple picks and things like that. Um, right. But like with the Alabama game, I'm going to presume that they still are having uh, those kinds of struggles. And if so, I think Notre Dame is good enough to capitalize on those. Yeah. Notre Dame's got, you know, I mean, they're, that's a defensive head coach. I mean, he, he, he should be able to have them prepared and they had a big win. I mean, that was an important win that they had Notre Dame uh, here last weekend. So, I get that they're maybe on an upward trajectory, but I just feel like that's a Clemson victory. All right. Fair enough. So, yeah, there's a lot to look forward to. You know, the college football playoff is starting to get together to uh, vote on the rankings and everything. That'll be Tuesday after this podcast. Um, so we're kind of getting into that those last few weeks of the season where we'll really get into the more of the national conversations and the big teams playing each other, right? Like Michigan and Ohio State at the end of the year. And, you know, we'll really narrow down who the best teams in the country are. There you go. I think we will. Uh, I mean, it's starting to, it's already starting to take shape. You kind of know who's who, like in the Big Ten, I, I feel like you know who the, you know, top two or three teams are and, and, and the SEC, that's pretty clear. Um, you know, the Big 12 seems to be the, the muddly mess, but even that, I feel like Kansas State and TCU are starting to emerge. Mm-hmm. Right, well, because TCU uh, beat West Virginia this last weekend, so they're still undefeated. So they're the clear ones in front right now. But, uh, yeah, I would honestly say the Big 12 may have been the most entertaining conference, at least up to this point in the season. They've had a lot of good games so far. I would agree. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be exciting to see how things play out. Obviously, we're hoping for the Minnesota victory for Nebraska, uh, but we'll see what uh, attitude we're bringing to next week's podcast. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, and, you know, again, I, I think the uh, the announcement watch will begin after this uh, this weekend. Yes. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, the, the, the uh, media in Nebraska – and everybody, it'll be a foregone conclusion that Mickey's not the guy and that Trev, you know, is going to be announcing somebody else. And it's just a matter of which guy they're able to, you know, get to say yes. 
to the job? How far down the list is, does, uh, does he have to go, so to speak, before he gets somebody who's willing to say yes for whatever amount of money we're willing to pay? And I, I, you know, I don't know where we are on that spectrum, but I just feel like, you know, uh, the watch is on after this Saturday. Very true. Very true. So if you all out there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can reach out to us at huskrepeat13 at gmail.com. You can also find us if you search for College Football Throwdown on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Leave us a rating or review there. We always love hearing from the fans. We'll read them out here on the air. So thank you all out there for listening, and thank you, Dad, for joining me. And until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.